Well, cool. You kick it off. You want to do first topic? Yep. All right. We're rolling. Um, welcome, everybody. Kevin and Mike here. We're doing a special episode today. We're trying something new. We'll see if we've had enough coffee to make this interesting, but we're going to we're just going to shoot the shit, go back and forth. We have a bunch of topics that we laid out um, that are interesting to us. And so for a 50th episode, we said, hey, why not? Mike and I talk like this all the time. We figured why not record it, put it out there and uh, see if it's interesting to anybody. So thanks for joining me on our own podcast for the second <laughs> time. Is this the second time? I was going to say it only took me 50 episodes to get here, but maybe there's another <laughs> guest appearance earlier. I think around 25, we did something on the PPP loans or something during oh, right. right in the beginning of coronavirus. We jumped on and, and that's right. That. But, um, but anyway, let's, uh, yeah, let's hit this list up of things we find interesting that's going on right now. And a lot of it's going to relate to you all listening out there. Um, some of it might be boring. We'll see, but, um, we've been talking a lot about culture and building a team. So, um, as you know, as we've grown, we've had great growth over the years. And in a short few years, Mike and I found ourselves running a company of 15, 16 people. And so basically figuring out how do we, what are our norms? What do we do? You know, what goes into culture? We had to like, think of all these things all of a sudden as mul as many multi-inspector companies do. Right. And so like, I'm curious, Mike, I, I know we talk about this a lot, but I want to hear your kind of recap almost of like, we've done a ton around culture and we just take it for granted sometimes, um, you know, of what goes into it. It's funny. Cause I think back to like three years ago, it was you and me and people would always talk about company culture and values and how important those were. And we're like, that seems like bullshit. We just like <laughs> get up every day and work and then <laughs> do your job. Yeah. And then we sleep and then, you know, and then we hired a couple people and they just kind of emulated us and just kind of, worked and we'd talk about things out loud and just choose the direction that seemed best for for growing this thing and doing right by our customers it really hit home i think when we passed what maybe a, a dozen employees yep and it seemed like oh you and i as the owners don't really get to interact with everybody so we need to codify we need to write some of this stuff down of like what is it that we've been doing that we haven't even realized is like values and culture like, let's write it down. Let's figure out how to constantly reinforce them um, in a more formal way. Because it can't just happen just by, you know, us having a little powwow over every little thing that comes up. Um, and then, of course, we go remote as a team. And that makes it even harder, which is like a whole other topic we can dive into. Yeah. It's like raising kids. It's like they just, they're going to do what they do unless you kind of intervene and say, like, here's, here's your guardrails. Here's how we operate. Here's how we act in the house. Um, and that's the same with inspectors. Like I, I've heard that from so many multis where they're just like, you can't just expect someone one to care as much as you care. And like, of course, they're not going to inspect a house like you inspect a house, you know, they're not going to, and that's good. That's a good thing. They're not going to do things. And I, you know, we're all just kind of winging it too. That was kind of one of my uh, lessons from, you know, this past year of like, we're all soaking up knowledge from other people. But I think that's important is to listen to what other people are doing in other industries. Cause our industry, I, I, I think it's fair to say is not the, the benchmark for how to build culture and uh you know a remote team but um and i think uh once we wrote them down once we said hey these are some of the things we're about and just as an example like what are a few of them like communicate clearly and succinctly like that was something that you and i always valued and we encouraged but as we got bigger we had to be, just write it down and say hey this is the thing that we do and so then we can use that and everything from when we're evaluating who we're going to hire we look at their cover letter. Was it succinct and clear? Did it have a bunch of like rambling sentences and misspellings? 
that's an early thing that says, hey, maybe it's not a good fit for our team where we really value those kinds of things because day-to-day efficiency is very much determined by communicating clearly. And so I like it. I encourage anybody that runs any kind of business, once you get up to that level where you're like, oh, wow, we need this, to write them down, refer to them often, and let them inform everything you do. If you're always having that as your North Star, man, that sure helps when you're like, trying to figure out how do we even make certain decisions. And there's, as any business owner knows, there's hundreds of micro decisions every day that go into building a business. Now that you say that, that should be the first criteria in terms of a home inspector, I'm saying, of like communicating succinct and clearly. Like number one advice anyone's ever said on the podcast is like, I need inspectors that know how to communicate. Like I can teach them how to find a a cracked foundation. How many times you hear that? Every podcast. Every single one. Probably like, doesn't matter how good a technical inspector you are, if you can't communicate, it, that doesn't bode well. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. It, this makes me think of our talk that we did at the IEB conference where we talked about some of our benefits and the freedom we give people. Um, you know, that that's a management style. I think like that's, I think the, the traditional skew is inspectors saying like, I'm going to be on your ass. You got to do this, the hard ass kind of management style versus, Hey, I'm going to teach you how we operate. Put your own spin on it. Put your own personality on it. I don't know if there's much there. Gosh, I'm, I'm just really curious because we, yeah, it, the difference is like, do you treat your employees like kids or like adults, right? If they're like kids, you got to give them all these rules, tell them what to do, give them punishments when they don't do it. If you treat them like adults, hopefully you're just like, hey, I'm going to support you. I'm going to empower you. I'm going to be like in your corner. And if you slip up, hey, that's understandable, but I believe in you to get your shit done. And I'm just going to remove all the barriers in your way to do it that's like two very different approaches. And I don't know if that translates across industries, obviously like employing people for tech is like, you know, there's certain type personality types there that like, you know, coders, they just like to sit, get down and start coding. And that's like a very different personality type than somebody who's like interacting with customers. I don't know how well that translates across different industries, but uh, it's interesting to think about. Yeah. Yeah. And I had a note here of like managing millennials, Gen Z, probably not applicable as much to home inspectors. Um, you know, that's just more of a tech tech problem. So it's just part of the world we live in, whatever. Um, all right. The next one, um, I'm always fascinated by supply and demand in our industry. I always check the InterNACHI um, membership stats page. I, I've checked it like every month or so for years now, and they're up to 26,657 InterNACHI inspectors. So like, like they just did their 20,000th, like they did this. Yeah. After a year ago. Yeah. So th- this has gone into overdrive probably, you know, even in the last six months. So that means I think that's worldwide, mostly in the U S and Canada when I look at the map, but, um, you know, so there's 20, you know, and everyone, everyone wants to know, you know, how many inspectors are in this industry and we always guess 20 to 30,000 so that, you know, you can assume Ashi maybe has three, five, 7,000 I've heard. Um, but I'm always wondering, like, is there still not enough inspectors in the industry because guys are booked out weeks year round, you know, a lot of our guys, interest rates are at all time lows. So is this just going to keep growing? Should it, can there be 50,000 inspectors? Like how many of those 26,000 are the mom and pops that just kind of does your neighbor's house, but he keeps his InterNACHI membership. I don't know. If you asked us in late March, you know, when people are starting to cancel thinking, oh, I'm not going to get jobs, COVID's scary. And then flash forward to like late April when it's booming. Like we- Real estate's uh, on fire. Oh my gosh. We grew like 10% every month in May, June, and July. It's nuts. Everybody's buying houses, bigger houses. Is this sustainable? Is this just a COVID effect? 
interest rates, obviously a huge thing, but um, gosh, it's a great time, I think, to get into home inspection. Hey, I know I, I talk to experienced inspectors and they're often not worried about new inspectors getting in, maybe because of the churn. Most, you know, a lot of new inspectors don't last three to six months, but um, as bad as things are, you know, with unemployment at what, 8%, uh, obviously it was way worse months ago. Like a million home sales in August happened in the U.S. That's interesting. And then 6 million happened all of last year. So this year was forecasted to be like 5 million and be down. Pretty sure that's trending. That's going to break 2019's uh, record. And I, every, I asked inspectors this. Everyone's moving from these big cities and coastal areas inward. Basically, New York, L.A., Miami pushing in. And that's home velocity. So that's great. I, I mean... I think our industry is just super fortunate that real estate is just, re I don't think anyone predicted real estate would react this way. Oh, totally. And if our company is a microcosm, we decided, if you guys don't know, we decided to go to a totally remote distributed team back in was that April, March, late March, where we said, Hey, we're a tech <clears> company. We don't necessarily need to be in the same room to do work. So let's just go all remote. And that's so many tech companies are doing that, whether it's a temporary until a vaccine or just, hey, we're, we're just permanently doing this. Why are we spending who knows how much on office rents and all this equipment when everybody's quite content working from home? So that's probably driving some of it where people are leaving the tech hubs like San Francisco. Huge. And yeah. And then coming into places like Colorado, apparently, uh, if, if the indications of every home for sale goes in the first 12 hours, you know, that's an indicator. That's what people are doing. They want to live somewhere that has a little more space. It might be a little bit cooler. And um, that's just happening across the nation. I just saw the other day, Microsoft said anyone, and most of our company, you know, you know, certain jobs where they're in the lab testing physical things, but most of their company can work remote indefinitely. So you're talking Twitter, Facebook, Microsoft, I think maybe Google said a part of their workforce can. That's, you're already talking about hundreds of thousands of employees at least, right? Um, that can live anywhere and can say, Hey, I can get a mansion in Ohio for, you know, 800,000 or a million, whatever. And there's gotta be a trickle effect where like some people right away were like, cool, I'm leaving, I'm moving to Montana. But every single month, there's probably a few more people that are like, why am I still paying, you know, 3000 a month for a studio in uh, the city when I can go get a massive house somewhere else for that. And so I'm sure that that bodes well for the future of like, home sale velocity for at least a year or two or who knows how long. Huge. And I saw this yesterday on the stair stepper too, for any Colorado inspectors, this is great for you. The U S news and world news uh, rankings every year, they do top places to live. Colorado had four out of the top five cities. It was literally Boulder, Denver, Austin, Texas, Colorado Springs, Fort Collins. Wow. So it's great for us. We live here. We own a house. Great. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, there's other cities. Yeah. If you want to start a home inspection business, come to Colorado. <laughs> also moving here. Seriously, yeah. come to Colorado and do it. Um, not a bad living. Um, I think that's, yeah, the, the movement that's, we all get it. That's going to be great. Continue to be great for our industry. Um, all right. I got one more, um, you know, my top three here, you know, I want to talk about why home inspectors are scared of um, kind of being a lead source or lead generation, or maybe that's a bad term. It maybe it's basically being the connector of services to their buyers and agents. Like it's something that gets talked about a ton. Porch is going public. Um, it's Let's just zoom out a little bit. Cause I'm sure there's a lot of listeners that don't necessarily know what this is all about. So like maybe we can 
can zoom out just a little bit and yeah. say like, what is this? Yeah. What does this mean? Cause like, I know when I was a phone buyer for the first time, my inspector just gave me a report with things that are wrong and that was it. And then I was just turned loose on like, Oh, I got to find my own contractors. I got to find my own, you know, do all the things that when you move, like get a cable company, get moving services, find a mortgage, um, that, at the time, I didn't realize how much of a pain point that was. But as we started this company and started talking to more home inspectors and like we were, we've always been wondering, hey, how come the home inspector doesn't do more of this stuff? And obviously there's some, you go to the conferences and like, you know, Secure24 has been great at being the presence in the inspection industry. A lot of inspectors love Secure24 because they get paid every time an alarm system gets purchased through one of those leads where the home inspector sends that lead to Secure24. You give them a call, say, hey, you want a security system? If they say yes, inspector gets paid. And so that's a really good thing for certain guys that are willing to kind of put their, their name on it or say, hey, I promote this thing. And so, um, of course, Porch, who many of you guys know out there, they came into the industry about the same time we did, right? Like, well, they've been around for a lot longer, but people started hearing about them in home inspection like four or five years ago. And they buy off ISN and say like, all right, cool, we're gonna be, this connection between home inspectors and all these contractors and moving services and home warranties out there so that through us they can find all these things and so it makes it, it I love the idea right it makes it easier as a home buyer to find all the things you need when you move um, and then for some home inspectors they say hey that's pretty good that's a good deal for me like I get you know whether it's a few bucks or software free or, or some gifts and so this is like a very interesting and controversial thing in the industry right now is like it hasn't been as rapidly adopted as like I'm sure some people thought it would be, but it also is kind of gradually getting into the mind space of this industry. So what does that mean? Where is it going? What's Spectora's role going to be? Like we don't really know. So far we've kind of sat on the sidelines and wondered like, all right, what's going to happen here? So I don't know. What are your thoughts on, on like why inspectors are just scared to say, I'm going to put my name on this other product. You know, there's so many, yeah, it's such a good question. So there's the, the liability angle. I think inspectors in general, and I generalize a lot, but I think there's definitely different segments of inspectors, right? There's the, the ones that have done it for 20, 30 years and remember when it was like, Hey, you just wrote on your carbon copy piece of paper, ripped it off, handed it to someone and went on your way. Probably didn't even hear from them again industries evolve it's evolved to more service more being connected to the homeowner and everyone's the bar is raising for like how much value can i add because this is a business of differentiation we don't want it to be commoditized as inspect you know as inspection industry right and i think that's everyone's kind of or some people's big picture fear so there's a liability thing of like but that to me that that that's kind of bullshit in my opinion because it's like that there's legal disclaimers lawyers exist for a reason they charge ungodly sums per hour for a reason and you can disclaim your way out of anything right so it's like no matter what you're doing you can say i take zero responsibility for this sign this document cool and you were a realtor so of course like you were giving you gave inspector recommendations you gave mortgage lender recommendations like yeah that already happens and it's not like realtors are getting sued every time they recommend somebody shitty so no and fun fact realtors uh get sued i think it was like three or four x more than home inspectors or like the liability for realtors is way greater than home inspectors they don't they always forget that fact yeah. um i think a poor experience is the next is another fear of like okay if i recommend this customer has a shitty experience they call me back and say hey this is on you or they call the agent 
agent calls inspector. I get that. So you got to verify that the company has good, good reviews, that it's high quality providers. It's funny you mentioned Secure24 too, because they've been doing this for a long time in our industry and like plenty of people promote that. And like some people look at alarm systems as like the, the bottom of the barrel of like things you could recommend and give to, you know, as opposed to a mover or a sprinkler blowout guy or whatever. Everyone needs those things. Not everyone needs an alarm system. So I, it, it's fascinating to me how certain things just get normalized. And I think that's part of the game. It's just like, there's the shock value where inspectors like, ah, anything new change, it's bad. And then we scale, we sit, we all take a step back and say like, is everyone winning out of this? Cool. Like, is their value transfer? Great. Um, right. Like if the home buyer is like, wow, thank you. I needed those, that information or that connection. If the inspector's like, cool, made a few extra bucks. Is that a, is that a win-win? I mean, it's, I think whether we like it or not, though, we know that's kind of the direction things are going. Like Porch is going public for, we don't know how much, but it's going to be a large sum. And they there's an SEC document they filed that shows exactly how much money comes in through all of this. And um, I guess the question is, do inspectors want to be part of that equation or not? Because they have the potential to have so much power in this transaction. They can do a lot more than somebody who hands over a report. They can be somebody that's kind of an advisor during this home buying process and the gateway into a lot of things that they know probably better than the agent. Like most home inspectors will know better, um, like about contractors and what's needed, who they should recommend, if they know anybody that would be really good for particular things, compared to an agent who often does not have a background in construction or the trades and doesn't have the same knowledge depth. And so I would say it's almost a challenge to this industry to uh, really decide like, hey, this ship is sailing, am I gonna be on board or not? And there's positives and minuses to each side, I think. Mm -hmm. But um, we, we have to accept, I think, that this is coming. What I can't wrap my head around is that, you know, the immediate uh, kind of like instinct is like, oh, what if they have a bad experience? It's like, why don't we ever ask, what if they have a great experience? And then like, you know, like this is such an industry of differentiation. I said it a minute ago of like, if you rolled something like this out, and I'm just brainstorming here of like this amazing experience where people kind of get all their needs met and they found it through you. Um, who cares if you make a few bucks for one, that's great. Maybe your software is free or whatever. Maybe you make a couple hundred dollars a month, but then what if agents are like, yeah, Jim's home inspection, like he just like has this whole suite in this package that just makes people taken care of. That's a pretty big differentiator. So like, to me, I just, I don't get, um, it's usually the smaller companies that have this mentality. I think big multis are totally on all about differentiating and saying like, we're just going to provide massive value any way we can. And we're just going to keep gobbling on market share. And they think of it like a business as opposed to uh, the emotionality, you know, like it, I think there's just so much emotional reaction to stuff like this. Yeah. And not realizing like there's bigger market forces that none of us, you know, whether it's the small home inspector or even the big home inspector or us as a small business making software, we can't control a lot of where the big ship is steering and mm -hmm. All we can do is say, how do we react to this as best as we possibly can? And so, yeah. Yeah. We can't bury our heads. Yeah. Yeah. And we often have very different types of conversations talking to the big companies versus the, the, the solo inspectors. And I'm sure this podcast history has a lot of those on record. 
Totally, totally. You referenced the ISN ports thing. Let's jump into that because I was I know that was something you had written down um of this public document. Like most people don't know this, so like they're ports acquired ISN, they're going public via a SPAC. So anyone that even loosely follows financial markets has probably heard that term. But basically you're just mer like they merged with another company that just they're called blank check companies. So these companies go public with no company, which is fat like you know, you can go public with just a bunch of money in like a, a war chest over here and say like, you know what, Mike, me and you are going to get a couple hundred million dollars. We're going to go public, but we don't have a business. With the intent of acquiring a business. <laughs> it's so bizarre to me. Yeah. I learned about this over the last few months. I just like read about it. I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. Like, how is this not like fraudulent in some way? Uh, you know, it's a legit thing apparently and, and the market's getting getting um, pretty drunk on it from from things that I read. But anyway, this company went public it's a ticker symbol they basically merged with porch who owns isn so now they're going public and saying hey we are worth whatever it is half a billion dollars and we own all this software that allows us access to the homeowner um and it's just fa it was fascinating document it's a public document anyone could find it but it basically just says hey for every homeowner um that we get in contact with we can make x amount of dollars by selling them services over time yeah, I think it's on average to make like 25 bucks per customer. Right. And then they give the inspector, uh, what it was, $4 of that is like free ISN right. software. And so for a lot of inspectors, they're like, great, that's a really compelling uh, business proposal. Mm -hmm. for me. And I just tell my customers, hey, you're going to get called by this company, Porch, and they're going to give you the services that you, you probably need. Um, and for others, we've heard the exact opposite reaction, just like, hey, run for the gates. They're like, taking away our power in the industry and they're going to, uh, you know, give us a bad name or whatever it is. And mm -hmm. it's super controversial. It's, you know, if you're, yeah, it's probably scary in some ways. Cause like I with my finance background. It's like, okay, when you go public, there's now pressure on a company to move that bottom line to fulfill the promises they're saying in these documents to, um, you know, and so who knows what that free software, if it becomes mandatory, if it stays the same and stays optional. Um, but I think, there's never anything for free in this world. So it's like, if we just made Spectora for free, I'm sure every inspector would be like, how are you making money then? How do you pay Kevin and Mike and all their employees? And so it's a, it's going to be a fun, it's going to be fascinating end of the quarter. Um, you know, home advisors, obviously the big 8,000 pound gorilla in the room that's been monetizing homeowners through, you know, direct channels. They don't own, they're not in our industry or have anything to do with it. Most people hate them anyway in our industry. Um, but yeah, I, I think definitely the lifetime value of a porch or a home advisor getting in touch with a customer is huge, thousands of dollars, right? Because if you need a, a fence built or a deck rebuilt and you go to home advisor, that, that's great, right? They, it's great for them. So yeah. it probably bears mention that we're going to have a little kind of roundtable discussion on this topic of like what it means, how we're going <clears> to <throat> approach this whole thing um, in what, a week or two? It's next week, yeah. So by, I mean, I'll put this out probably at the end of this week. So that'll be next uh, on the 21st of next, next yeah. week. I want to talk a little bit more about this because mm -hmm. yeah, I'm trying to put myself in the mind of like a shareholder of porch and what that, what that should look like if I was wanting to maximize my investment. Mm -hmm. and so how does that trickle down to the people that are actually using the ISN software? Um, of course we have a competing product called Spectore Advanced. We also integrate with ISN. So we're essentially neutral here. We're going to do everything um, we can, of course, at, uh, get all the inspectors using our platform as possible, but some also use ISN. So we don't, we don't really uh, have to choose a side here, but we want to offer some different alternatives. 
and so Spector Advance, obviously you pay for it, you get what you, what you get. There's no like kind of back channel stuff. So that's some uh, discussions for the future for some of those companies out there that are trying to evaluate what they're doing. Us being independently owned, serving the inspector is still such a big differentiator when so most of our big competitors have been bought up by big money interests. And so they have a very different customer. Their customer is a shareholder. Our customer is still the home inspector. So I find that uh, this will be interesting to see how it plays out. And like totally. what our gamble is of like, we serve the home inspector. That's who pays our bills. Because um, maybe nobody cares. Maybe people say, I'd rather have free software. I don't care about big data and how much money they're making off it. I don't know. Well, I mean, we'll, we'll see. Fascinating time in this little space. Totally. I did not expect, you know, years ago for us to be here and say, like, oh, cool, HomeGage is owned by an insurance company and Iceland's owned by Porch, a lead gen company, you know, and like whatever else is to come. It's, uh, it's gotten interesting. We have to admit it's made, it's made it more fun and uh, kind of high flying than we ever imagined, right? We thought it was a sleepy, tired industry. We could chug along with like HomeGage and HIP and we could all just do well and quietly make good businesses. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. cool. Um, so anyway, probably enough about that. Um, what else do we want to talk about? Uh, you got IEB on your list. I think they're, they're, they're doing great stuff. I think they're a, a big driver. IEB. It seems like every company we talk to that's coming out of IEB, we also just see eye to eye on, like we think about business, we think about growth in a certain way. Like if you guys haven't heard of inspector empire builders, they're, they're, uh, kind of coaching, um, group community that just does really great work. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I just love the energy they're bringing. They're bringing psychology, they're bringing a business mindset, really teaching people how to grow their business. And I think that we're, we're in the middle of this shift, right? If you flash back, gosh, well, long before we were in the industry, 10 years, 15, 20 years, mostly mom and pop, mostly, you know, uh, to stereotype, it's probably the wife answering phone calls and scheduling, the husband's out inspecting homes. And gosh, just even in the last few years, we've seen big companies get bigger, hire up, you know, like hire some of those smaller guys that are like, ah, I don't want to deal with this business and scheduling stuff. I just want to be out inspecting homes, talking to home buyers. Um, and so we're seeing that consolidation in the industry and, and business savvy people, you know, folks that are wearing collared shirts and suits that are going around to agent offices and really making sure that they're growing their, their footprint in the mind space of realtors. And that is, that's huge. I mean, for this industry, if you're not aware of those dynamics, get aware of those dynamics, start thinking about it, think about how you're gonna be competitive if you wanna be in this in the long term. Because if you don't see that coming, I mean, that's like, that's huge. It's happening. Blindside you. I think like every, we went to a conference uh, February, or no, February, maybe last year, but anyway. Um, amazing energy, just the session. It's just, a, it was the anti-home inspector conference, which was so refreshing to me. You know, Mike and I did a jog in the morning with these owner operators, these big multi heads. And then we did a cold plunge in the pool and there's all these, you know, yoga. It's just, a, it's a, such an energetic event of people that are kicking ass, people that are growing their businesses. And I'm, for those of you that don't know, I'm talking like, okay, guys in Atlanta, he's crushing it, has 30 inspectors there. He's like, okay, I'm going to go into Nashville now. I'm going to grow a multi there and use my playbook. Okay, cool. I'm going to Greenville, South Carolina. So they're coming. Like, you know, these, these guys are building, truly trying to build empires and they're doing it through aggressive growth, amazing customer service, great technology. So it's a world that I think a lot of the mom and pops are unaware of. 
Um, but it's worth kind of wrapping your head around the fact that like the bar is raising rapidly in our industry. Um, and it's, to me, it's refreshing when I talk to a, a Brian Lunsford, you know, of Luns Pro, this guy that amazing story, like sold a pest control business to Terminex. Now him and his brother are both building inspection companies. Just they're sharp. They get it. The conversations are so high level and you can just tell that they're going to succeed. Like those businesses where you're just like, wow, this guy just gets it. So I, I think it's amazing. I think everyone needs to be a part of this and I'm not, you know, I don't make any money. I'm not pimping it. It's just like they coach on such a higher level than I've ever seen in our industry. So yeah, hundred percent. Um, cool. You also have remote distributed team. Um, you know, how this pertains to us, how it pertains to inspectors is kind of interesting of like agents aren't in offices anymore. Um, but yeah, we can talk a little bit about what our team and what we've done. Um, cause that's fun. Yeah. I mean, gosh, going remote in March, um, that was such a big shift for us because I think like many other business owners, you know, you, you kind of are just around your employees and you know, they're working cause they're, the butts are in the seats and they're, you're seeing it. And then you go to this thing where, gosh, you're looking on Slack and making sure that they're doing stuff, but then you need objectives. You need to make sure they're hitting their metrics. And I think for, you know, home inspection, it's a little bit different. Like, are they getting their inspections done? Are they doing them on time? Are they quality? Uh, but for us, we, we definitely thought, oh, wow, how does this impact? Especially we have a fairly young team. I mean, it's, it's tech, so often you do have younger teams. How do they just learn? You know, in the office, they just learn by osmosis. They're just around people, they overhear conversations. They pick up that knowledge that helps them advance their careers. Um, now we have to dedicate time. We have like, we're, we created lunch and learns. We're creating more social time. Um, the, we have a rotating random social chat that just happens uh, between everybody in the company and somebody else. And it's just like, hey, you just bullshit for 20, 30 minutes. Like non-work talk, right? Yeah, you don't talk work. You just get to know each other. And who knows what comes out of that to replace those water cooler conversations. So it's like, oh, you're going to lunch? I'll go with you. And that's so key. And I, 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 it makes me think of home inspectors and how much do all you guys do that? How much do you say, hey, how do we make sure that these younger guys keep learning, not just in that first few weeks of onboarding, but like throughout their career so that we're, we're actually fostering their growth and making sure that they can evolve into like future roles here. Maybe in a few years, you need an ops manager and you need to pick from the guys that have been in the field. Who knows it best? Start thinking about that early. I mean, that's what we've been talking about with a lot of our employees is like, oh, Who's going to be like on the leadership track? Let's kind of nurture and encourage certain things that, um, you know, just need more uh, decision making when it comes to this remote culture where it's like, oh, hey, why don't you host a lunch and learn? And so, yeah, I find it very fascinating. I mean, we've always done like a lot of check in chats where we just say, hey, how's it going? Like, what are you doing well at? What's not going well? What can we do to help you kind of continue to grow and succeed in your role? And um, that's something that we're kind of ramping up throughout this remote work. So it just doesn't feel disjointed. Um, so gosh, yeah, that's some of the things I can think of that. Kev, what do you think? I, you know, I think that's the biggest risk for tech teams that, you know, obviously inspection companies are used to being remote. You know, I think of like a multi-year guy, you know, a dual team where it's like, okay, you're on this part of the town and city most of the time. And then they maybe cross paths. And it's like for the owner operators, how, I think there, how could you ever expect your partner or another or your sub inspector to care unless you care about them personally and like what other form, what other way to show that you care by spending time and saying like, you know, let's grab lunch. You're on this side of town. Cool. Let's grab a coffee and ask about them personally. I, 
I don't know how many inspectors do that. I think I, it would be a must if I was running a multi-inspection company of like, how do I, how's your, how's your life? How's your, how, how's your home life going? Are you staying in shape? Are you eating well? And that is where that fills people up. That charges people up. So I think yeah. inspection companies are used to being distributed in that way. I just don't know how much focus there's been historically on it. Right. And I guess linking back to the values we started off the podcast with, um, just like valuing each of our team members holistically, not just what's your output, what's your productivity for the business. But like, like you said, are they healthy? Are they eating well? Are they happy in their relationships? Like by actually caring about them as humans, I think is also a good business decision. It's, it's something that makes them feel good. It's something that makes us feel good. Like we're also just being the bosses we always wish we had back when we were working for other people. And, um, and then I just believe it leads to better results of more of people more motivated and bought in. I mean, in addition to like good comp, you know, some right. of our key employees, like making sure they're very well uh, compensated and have a, some, some outcomes that are determined by the overall company performance. I think those are the things that are um, just super important to growing a team. And for, you know, some of the big companies we talk to, they're already thinking about a lot of this stuff. And so I would encourage all the companies that are just shifting from that solo to multi, or maybe you have two, four, five guys, whatever, start thinking about that stuff because it, it can happen fast as, as we went, you know, gosh, three years ago, it was just you and me. Two years ago, we might be had half dozen. And like, and really quickly, just in the past year, we went up to what, 17 as of yesterday. So, yep. and we're, we have job ads out for 18 and 19. Like, it's like a snowball effect. And so yeah, think about these things early. I was talking to a mentor yesterday and uh, he mentioned something that I know IEB hits on this a lot at their, in their sessions, but he was just talking about the human nature of wanting to feel a part of something. Cause we were talking about sports and like that, the impact of sports and just the human nature to be a part of a, a tribe or a community. And it's like, when you have an inspector, it's like, yeah, you can't, it's not just a, a utility or commodity that you're like, go make me money and I'll pay you hourly or pay you flat rate. It's like, are they a part of something special? You know, like if you're just wanting to cruise along at two inspectors, like be honest about that and talk to your inspector about that and say like, we're going to provide a solid service, but we're not trying to be this or that, you know, but if you want to grow, you got to like vocalize these things. And I, and that's one thing I've learned is vocalizing the vision and the dream and the goal, like that motivates people that may, people want to be a part of that. Yeah. They want to feel like they're a part of that and they're contributing. Love it. Um, cool. Let's, uh, let's see what else we got. Multi versus franchise versus mom and pops. Where are things going? Someone asked me that the other day of the percent breakdown of the industry and then us in terms of multis versus franchise. And obviously franchise is still a very small piece. I, I don't know if that'll ever grow or get bigger. I don't, I, I don't know of many inspectors like, yeah, I'm, I'm buying a franchise and I'm, that's how I'm going to do it. It's like one or 2% of the industry, which it's, you know, there's money coming in. I think you know, private equity bought up win, I think. And they're probably seeing like, oh, there's all this room to grow. But I'm like in an industry where you can just, I could roll out of bed tomorrow and become a home inspector. Everyone thinks they can do it on their own. So why would you pay 10, 20 grand? Um, and because it's so relationship focused, you have to build each one of those agent relationships and maintain them. And so it's not like you can just buy your way into that. <laughs> it's not like having a brand recognition matters as much compared to you know, other franchise spaces. And so I'd be curious to see where that goes. I mean, obviously we have tools for franchises. We have a few big nationwide franchises using us, but like you said, it's still one or 2% of the industry. So we'll see what happens when these kind of multis that we talked about that are really growing, get into other spaces. Do they become 
just like kind of regional dominant companies and then there's others in different regions or can some of them make that jump to be nationwide and still maintain the awesome operations that got them there yeah no i think the regional model has to work just because i mean these multis we talk to they are thinking about like they're basically using their playbook and they're not saying hey random guy in utah like we're going to give you back office support and and you know, it's because you have to do something really well, like whether it's SEO or sales or outreach, like what are you going to do for that franchise or um, to justify the, those royalties as opposed to these huge multis who have a growth person, they have an SEO person, they have, you know, they, they have all these. So I don't know. I don't know if the mom and pops will ever go away or if that erosion will happen where multis just continue to gain kind of like market share. Um, I can see it. It feels like it's happening, but slowly. Yeah, and we're going to be equipped either way. I mean, we have some. We spent most of the last year building tools for the growing multi-inspector companies. A lot of the biggest companies in the industry have moved over to us, and we're going to continue to to look at that stuff because we know that's that's definitely a segment of the market. While still making sure that the solo inspectors who make up a bulk of the market currently have everything they need. Yeah, which brings up an interesting point. I put down exits. I, I was thinking about this weeks ago, and I was just like, I want to talk to someone about this, and like. I, I kind of know, you know, one of the answers, but I want to hear your thoughts on like on exits. Cause with companies, people buy, build companies and they sell them. People build pest control companies and they sell them. Um, you know, I've even, I've even read a story of a guy, you know, that sold his plumbing company, but like home inspectors, they never have these like liquidity events that take care of them in retirement for a business they've built over 20 years. And I'm always just like, what, what is, what's the solution? What's the way to reward these inspectors to give them that kind of exit liquidity event? Um, so I, yeah, I want to just riff on that for a second of like, how come there's not more exits? Gosh, I haven't thought about it. Right. Yeah. yeah, I haven't thought about this much, so I'll just think out loud here. But like, I, I wonder how many inspectors are building it with the intention of not being necessary. Versus like that guy that just keeps working harder and harder and puts all his free time into the business and feels ah. like oh, the business is running me. Cause that's like a very different mentality. You don't have a business. You have a job. You're yeah. If you're, you're owned. Company, yeah. You're, yeah. If a company can't run without you, you can't really sell it. And nope. so I think that's probably a, I'd be curious where that comes from. If it's because many inspectors come out of like, whether it's a construction industry or, or trades where that's kind of the thing you get paid for the work you do and then you just work harder to make more money making that shift to be a business owner where you're investing in this thing that's supposed to gradually earn you more and more money for doing less and less work. Like that's the goal of a business owner. And if that's not clear, you got to rethink that. Right. And so I think that's probably part of it. The, um, and then like uh, no sticky revenue. It's not like a recurring thing. You have to, unless you build in systems of like, Hey, we have these agents they are super loyal. We have a team of, biz dev guys that constantly talk to these agents so that we feel like that's a repeating cycle. Even if an agent drops out, another one comes on board. How do we make it a system like kind of this, this, uh, this thing that just keeps feeding itself. And that's the challenge I think of any company as they grow is to make sure that it's um, systematized. Yes. So you can do that. You can't sell. Yeah. Cause it, it's, it's yeah. not recurring revenue, like a pest business. I love what you said of like uh, the technician to business person shift in mindset. I think that holds everyone back. They can't, a lot of inspectors can't get out of their own way, frankly, to say like, Oh, no one's going to inspect a house like I do. And you know, every, you listen to most of the episodes we've done and you hear any uh, very successful home inspector talk and they're like, I don't give a shit about being the best home inspector ever. I'm not doing it that different than that guy. And that, that's the mentality I think you have to have. Um, 
but yeah, no brand. I think like the bigger a brand gets and the different things that you do to differentiate, whether it's like the way you treat agents on site, bring in chairs, water, your follow-up process, your, you know, your pre-inspection process, like all the diff- all these things that go into making a, say a big Keller Williams branch saying we use this company and that's not going to change. I, you know, I put kind of recurring revenue where it's like you have these strong relationships over five, 10, 15 years, but not contractually obligated. I was one, I was brainstorming like, okay, could inspection companies have a agent office assigned contracts? It's like, we're your exclusive provider, you know, for X amount of years and we'll give you preferred pricing or I don't know, maybe that'd be dumb, but um, give you some benefits to say like, we're locked in together. Like how much value would that have if you're selling a business, right? Interesting idea. I don't know, but yeah, I think process systems, because if, uh, if there is, what if there's a referral kind of program where if an agent refers another agent to you, they get like a little reward or kickback or some sort to where you're like, you said, a flywheel effect of like, that's always going, that's sellable. You know, you, yeah. someone would buy that. Um, I don't know. I'm just thinking of like, the, I just think of all these home service providers that work so hard for so many years and then never, they don't get paid for it. They just ride off into the sunset with nothing. It, you also think about like some of the, like, I think we've both done business with the local contracting company named Applewood that just, they've grown beyond just a couple people running a business. It's like this institution around here. Everybody knows them as like the most expensive contractor. You mentioned their name, like, oh man, it'll be double, but you just know it's quality. <laughs> they answer the phone at like 10 PM when there's water, your water heater blew up and they're like, cool, we'll have somebody there for you at seven. And so they've created a brand and this premium perception that people are willing to pay double the price for it because they, it's just like constant, like five-star reviews and just the quality service and the human touch that, you know, and they just probably build in a lot of slack time so they can be so responsive to somebody. Like how often can you get a contract with the next morning when you're calling at 10 PM at night? And, um, how that, that brand is going to endure long past whenever the owners decide to sell it. Right. It doesn't right. matter who the owners are at this point. I, I have no, I don't care. I know they're who they are and what they're about. And so how can inspectors do that? How can they be just so, and a lot of it I think is what we talked about, the human elements of it, and then just building your processes around that. How are you, somebody that overhires has, you're paying more inspectors than you really need so that you can be super responsive the next day. Cause that, that's worth extra money to certain people. That, so, that right there is, is the fear of like, everyone's scared to, everyone hires way too late in our industry because the revenue's not guaranteed. But then the, I love that you brought up Applewood. I want to do like a case study on them because I, that's how we avoid the race to the bottom that every inspector fears is have the courage to have confidence in your own brand and process and personalities for one to charge, to be premium. That's how you combat it. Like I, everyone's been raising, you know, I did a poll in our Facebook group. Most people sounds like they've raised prices, which is great, but probably by five or 10 bucks. I just talked to Ben. I just re-listened to the Ben Gramico episode, the first episode of this podcast. And he was like, I didn't think about what the competition was doing when we charged a thousand dollars per inspection. He said, we charged enough to be profitable and to make a great living. Yeah. Like he just, the way he just said it, I was like, holy shit, I forgot how like raw this was. Or he was just like, dude, I have my vision. I know what I provide. Like I'm trying to make this a super profitable, efficient business. Yeah. And he just kicked ass and you know, and so... <laughs> And the same advice goes, you know, in the tech company, it's always like, yeah, raise prices and raise your value to meet those prices. Don't, don't drop prices. Cause that, 
that just cheapens who you are and then you can't provide the service you want to provide if you're on too tight a budget and so yeah nobody likes when prices go up but like hey inflation happens every year like you have to raise price if you haven't raised your prices in several years something's probably wrong with your business model because that's just what you're supposed to be doing yeah because then you're on the treadmill your whole life of just apologizing for shitty service or you're just like, ah, we can't get that new mobile app version out because we just can't hire developers because we keep cutting our prices, you know? And it's like nobody wins in that scenario. And I get that it's against human nature to want to spend more money, but like, boy, home inspection industry has come a long way and it can continue to go a long way in terms of the quality and service. I think we all know we're kind of in that middle of this maturation of, of how good this industry can get. Yeah. And if inspectors can move more towards that along that continuum to be like premium and have a name for themselves and that I believe can make this industry as a whole better off if everybody's kind of on that same mentality. Totally. Totally agree. Um, all right. We got uh, like 15 minutes here. Let's talk about where Spectora is at tech wise. Cause that kind of plays into what we were just talking about really of like yeah. a maturation of an industry. People always kind of tell us and write in reviews, like what you guys are doing with the industry is great. You're evolving it. And you know, some days we're like, gosh, we need to be, we need to be pushing this envelope more, you know, right. like there's all this cool shit happening in tech with machine learning and, and virtual you know, AI, um, you know, and we're still converting some guys from pen and paper to, to use yeah. our app. Gosh. And I think it's so important to contextualize this because people think about tech and they're like, Oh, like if Amazon can do it, why can't you guys? And it's like, well, there's very different um, beasts here. There's the, the funded companies that get like, you know, millions of dollars to go and build out this thing to approach a mass market where they can make a ton of money. Um, you and I, Kevin, decided to go into this very niche space where there's only, like you said, 20 or 30,000 potential customers. We decided to self-fund it. So we we're eating into our savings for a number of years, just trying to get this thing off the ground. And then we have kind of a, a max return if we think about our, our niche market. So just to contextualize it for people when they're like, hey, if, if this is all available out there, hey, there's economics at play here. We can't spend the same amount as a Facebook or an Amazon on certain tech. And so we've always been trying to make the best possible product we can given these constraints. And so, you know, when we started, I was the only guy writing code. Kevin was talking to everybody out there and making sure they got to see it and sign up. And as we've grown, we've added a couple more developers. And right now we're about to get, go from a team of three developers to five. And that's for this space, a pretty big team. And people are always amazed at how much functionality we have given the small team only being in business a few years, like three and four years now. Mm -hmm. And um, just the breadth of functionality that we have within this platform that's really aimed at a very small niche. Right. And so that's the context. Um, I don't know if you have any other comments on uh, It just made me think of like, uh, we joke all the time of like how much our platform offers. And some people are like, holy shit, that, that's a bargain for a hundred dollars a month. And then some people are like a hundred dollars a month. And then I look at some, there's like apps that just like collect a review for you or whatever for like 80 bucks a month. or like something that just like a note taking app that's like $70 oh, yeah. a month. And I'm like, what? Oh, we talk to companies uh, in other spaces and be like, dude, you guys should be charging like 500 a month per head for all the functionality you offer. But we also know that this space can't really bear that price right now. And so right. the, the macroeconomics at play are what they are. Yeah. Um, and so given all that, okay, so we, as a self-funded tech company, we're in a race to like get, make money before we ran out of money, basically, like any other business. And, um, and so we built some stuff and then people started uh, using it and then the snowball effect happened and now we're kind of the, 
you know, we, we show up number one on Google, all the biggest companies in the industry are shipping to us, and now we're kind of a de facto choice. So this is great. So now we have the revenue to continue improving our tech. And so that's what we've been doing the last couple quarters has been rebuilding kind of the core. Think about like a, the foundation of a house. We poured it for a house, and now we're trying to build a skyscraper. We got to change out some of that foundation. And so that's where we are tech-wise. We're, um, we're getting specialists in place that are very, have very deep knowledge over very little things, like whether it's image post-processing. When you send up an image, what happens to it? How does it happen in a way that can scale to thousands of times per second? You know, these are the things that are um, like super boring, probably for you, the inspectors to hear about, but might eat up like cycles, like entire weeks, just to like refine these little processes. Um, so yeah, we're rebuilding our mobile app and some technology. It's gonna take us into the next five or ten years. Um, we had a great platform when we first started building it five years ago, and in tech, things move so fast. And so now we're rebuilding it in something that, you know, is going to really help us springboard the next generation of like really cool tech. I know we made attempts at like constant live syncing between multiple devices. That's going to be reality, for example, with this new tech we're building a mobile app on. Um, seeing inspections as they happen live where everything just kind of just works. You know, some of this technology that we couldn't afford and we couldn't, we didn't have the expertise to do a few years ago. Now we do, which is super exciting. And, um, and just the amount of smart people that, that we have in our team is so fun. And so we're evolving and I know it never happens at the rate that inspectors want to see or, you know, they'll get mad like, oh, this bug's existed for like weeks. It's like, well, that's because that bug is reliant on these underlying technologies that need to be ripped out. It's like, you know, you're talking about an outlet when like all the wiring throughout the house needs to be ripped out for that thing to be better. And um, so things happen slowly and we're constantly working. We have such a hardworking team. And I know Kevin, you and I throw ourselves into this business and um, we're working on stuff to make it constantly better and just be like, we want to dominate the space. We want to be the absolute best software where there's not even a question. And that's what we're working towards. Um, so, and then, you know, that's the focus, that's focus now. It's always been the focus and we just have more resources to do it now, which is super cool. Yeah. And the tech is so complex. I think we like, I know inspectors maybe get numb to it, saving photos and sending up reports every day without thinking about like just how amazing it is that you can take 300 photos and just hit a button and then like it goes up to the cloud and just like ends up on someone's report. Like it's, it's so amazing and, uh, and it's just going to get better. I think like there's obviously room to improve, but yeah, it's like the bottlenecks, you know, you think of like a, here's a, here's another, I love my metaphors for coding. Um, you think about like a small town that starts with like a basic sewer and water system and then they, they start growing really fast and pretty soon like the sewer systems have bottlenecks at various points in town. So you go about widening bottlenecks and so that gets wider, but then what's the next bottleneck? A lot of coding very much happens like that because data is essentially just something flowing through and you have to make sure that it doesn't overwhelm. We have hundreds of subsystems. There's like thousands of points for potential failure. And we're constantly trying to stay on top of all of them and writing more code to like watch them for us and building systems to alert us before they become issues. But sometimes it feels like whack-a-mole and that's the nature of tech. And I think, um, I mean, that's, you know, we're not making excuses for issues because, but I'm just saying that's reality. We're going to constantly be addressing the issues, but sometimes we don't see the next mole that's going to pop out of a hole over there because we're really focused on this thing over here and being resource constrained. We can't hire up thousands of engineers to just be super, proactive on every single potential mole that might pop its head out. So um, 
So it's complex. It's fun. It's complex. And sometimes, man, it hurts when we let down, you know, a customer that's like, oh, this bug just pisses me off. Or when are you going to build this thing? I've been requesting it for years and you guys don't listen to our your customers. It's like, gosh, we, we're trying to listen to several thousand of you at the same time. And that's really, really hard. So we need to build a system in place to filter all the input and like put scores and quantities to it so that we know we're listening, not just to the squeakiest wheel, but to like the, the mass aggregate voice. So that's the hard part with where we're at as a business now. It's just like, it's, it's noisy. It's noisy. Uh, inspectors have to understand it because you have hundreds of agents. If you're, you know, if you're fairly busy and I think ones with hundreds of agents that get requests, they're like, oh, okay, I get it. Like I can't yeah. just do one thing for Susie agent over here because yeah. that's just one agent and I can't flip my business upside down. Um, when you're talking about playing whack-a-mole, I'm like, I'm just thinking of like iOS updates, the new iPhone, 10 more new Android devices and tablets coming out that are all on different versions of Android. It's just like, good Lord, this, this world is so fragmented in terms of mobile devices that, um, the fact that it works at all some days, I'm like, this is amazing. Like this is like oh. magical. <laughs> like the entire internet is like a house of cars. There's certain uh. systems that were built in the seventies that are like the underpinnings of all of the internet. And every once in a while we have one of these things where like suddenly the whole internet's at risk. I mean, Amazon had like a massive outage last year that affected like half of the internet because of some of these like little things that just code, you know, we have like just trillions of lines of code underpinning this little part of, of the app, you know, Spectora sits on top of all of this house of cards. I'm amazed our, our world functions as it does. It, yep. It's because a lot of smart people doing the tasks day in and day out. It's crazy. Yep. One last thing I want to get to is um, just with so much machine learning, artificial intelligence happening in other parts of the world and already like par parts of large companies that are doing big things. Do you ever foresee a future where inspector takes a picture the app recognizes what it is, boom, pops in the comment, no, you know, and it's just like saves them time to where half of this is just, because so much of an inspection is repetitive, right? So it's like, yeah. can a computer so, kind of know? Oh, this is fascinating, maybe scary, I don't know. But um, machine learning is basically pattern recognition. So if you feed enough photos of like, hey, here's a deteriorating deck. If a computer algorithm sees enough of those photos, you show it like a million photos, then you show it a million and one photo, and it can say, yeah, yeah, that's probably also a deteriorating deck. Is that the future of home inspection? Is that what's going to happen eventually when we have just like these massive repositories of photos of everything and what's wrong with them? I don't know. I mean, that seems far-fetched, but like there's machine learning platforms out there doing similar things with other industries. And so does that make, is it going to be a tool for inspectors? Like, hey, here's a suggestion. You just took a photo, really resembles deteriorating deck. Or is it, like, hey, you just eventually are sending a drone through a house. It takes all these photos, comes back with the report, and you just check it to make sure the algorithm didn't make mistakes. I don't know. It's, it's crazy. It seems like so futuristic to talk about. And it might be within a few years very much uh, something that we have to face as an industry and as a software provider, as a, as a home inspector, as an owner of a home inspection company. Um, that's part of us. We're always trying to think on the yeah. of technology and build for the next several years. And, um, so it's a fascinating discussion. Yeah. Could, could there be a world where, uh, you know, there's so much value added through these inspection reports, but it takes half as much. So then now it's a $500 inspection only takes you an hour, hour and a half. You can do another couple in a day, like, boom, like a, a ridiculous profitability, you know, like that's all tech enabled, providing a seamless experience, hooks up people with their nest and all these things in the house. Like, yeah. 
there's just so much happening and I think there's so much room for innovation, but, um, there's so much happening so fast that even us in tech can't do it at all <laughs> yet, let alone the, you know, guys that are just like, Hey, I'm just in the field looking at how is day to day, like, how can I possibly know what all's going on out there? And, um, so that's kind of our jobs is to also think, Hey, what's coming ahead? How do we kind of protect, you know, not only what we've built, but like all the inspectors that depend on us to give them the tools they need to do their job. And so, that's how we think about it. That's how we are approaching it. That's why sometimes we, we don't care what a competitor is doing because we don't see that as being what's going to move the businesses in the future the most. We, we're thinking ahead and that's always something that's characterized our approach and we'll continue to. Um, I think that's why people are on team Spectora. I think that's why you have to be on. That's why I think you have to be a Spectora because like, I don't think there's many in our industry thinking like this. I, I think we just have to though. I think that's how we look out for our people. That's how we grow as a business, how we grow our business, how we grow their business. Like, yeah, Thank no other way to be. It's a good note to end on. Right on. All right. Well, let's get out of here. We'll get back to work. I think this was great. Um, I definitely am anxious to hear everyone's feedback, uh, leave a review, let us know what you think or send me a message, but um, we'll do this again. There's yeah, a million other things we can get into. So cool. cool. All right. Thanks, Thanks brother. All right, see y'all. Later.